So to begin our message today, I want to ask you, how do you hear God speak to you? How do you hear God speak to you? For some of us, it might be very intimidating questions, like, whoa, 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 I've never heard God speak to me. What are you talking about? That's something that just happens to very special people, or it just happens to people in the Bible. That's not something that happens to me. For some of us, you may have some very tangible experiences of that, where you have sensed God saying something very clearly to you at some point in your life that really shaped the direction that you headed in. Or you may have had an experience where someone else said something to you that was just exactly what you needed to hear at the right time, really inspired you and encouraged you, and you could sense, yes, that was God saying something very clear to me. It could be something that you read in Scripture, that uh, you were reading the Bible at some point, and you just had this clear sense that God was saying something very, very clear to you. Or it could just be your experiences, that some stuff has just happened in your life where you're like, that can only be God speaking to me. I think for a lot of us, our perceptions of this idea of God speaking to us are that God does need to speak to us in these really, really clear and overt ways. That we need to hear some big booming voice from heaven speak clearly to us and hopefully so that some other people hear as well so they can back us up. Or God needs to write something up in the sky or he needs to write something on a wall so that we're absolutely 100% certain that we can sense what God's saying to us. And the reason for that is because a lot of us, and I certainly feel this way, question, was that actually God speaking? Is that what God said to me? It's a bit of uncertainty for us. And so the more blatant and the more obvious that can be, the better we feel that we can sense that God's speaking. And so we want to take the next few weeks to unpack this a little bit and to talk a bit about the ways in which God does speak to us and particularly the ways in which God leads us through his Holy Spirit. And so we're going to spend some time talking about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about the ways in which God brings us alive. Even in those moments where we feel like we might be almost dead, God brings us back to life through his spirit. And then we're going to say, what does it look like for us to respond to the promptings that we hear from God individually and collectively as a church? So we're going to do that over these next few weeks. Today, uh, you have your teaching notes inside of your newsletter, so you can grab those if you want to jot things down as we go through today's message. And uh, the passage we're looking at comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, you can feel free to turn to that. Now, before we get to the passage, I want to uh, be able to talk you through one of the most awesome stories that we see in Scripture. So this comes in the chapter before, and uh, this week you might want to take some time to read this story, apart from anything, just so that you can actually see that I'm not making this up. Because one part in particular is so staggering and so hilarious, frankly. It's like, is that really in the Bible? You can look it up and check for yourself. So today we're talking about this guy named Elijah. He's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, all of the things that happened before Jesus, uh, there was this group of people called the Israelites. And God worked with these people and walked with these people to try and help them understand a little bit about what it looks like to be able to live the way that God created us to live. So what does it mean to live in a healthy relationship with God, with each other, and with God's creation? But the Israelites were this fickle people who regularly would just say, that's great, God, but we feel like we'd like to go this way instead. Actually, no, now we'd like to go this way instead. And so they would wander all over the place and God would use these people called prophets to help try and bring them back in line with what his best was. They were the people who could hear God speak clearly and the people who said, okay, let's get back to basics. This is what it looks like to live in a healthy relationship with God, with each other, with creation. Let's get back on track. And so Elijah was one of those prophets. 
And Elijah comes along at a time when there was this king, a king named Ahab, uh, who was not a great king, let's be honest, and uh, he decided that he would marry someone who was from a completely different culture and a completely different set of religious beliefs. Her name was Jezebel, and so uh, they formed a partnership together that meant that most of the people decided, actually, we'd rather worship these other gods rather than uh, the true God that they had followed for so long. And so Elijah comes along to try and convince people, let's get back to following God, shall we? Rather than following particularly these two other gods, a god named Baal and a god named Asherah. And so they have hundreds and hundreds of these prophets. Uh, Over time, most of the other prophets of Israel have been killed off and Elijah's kind of this lone ranger who's left. And so he decides that there's going to be this challenge that they're going to have to prove once and for all who is the most powerful and real God. And so he sets up this amazing showdown on this mountain where he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to both build really big altars, so all of this wood, put all of this stuff together and then put a bull on top of that and we're going to see which God burns up the altar. And whichever God burns up the altar, that's clearly the one that's real and that's clearly the one that's the most powerful. So they set up their altars, they get everything ready and Elijah says... You go first. And so the prophets of Baal start dancing around and singing and shouting as loud as they can, trying to convince Baal to come down and burn up this altar that they have set up. This goes on for quite some time, and this is where things get humorous. Elijah jumps in and just kind of sends a couple of jabs their way and says, maybe you need to shout a little bit louder because maybe Baal's having a bit of a nap. He's just sleeping. Or, and this is true, you can look it up this week, maybe he's off relieving himself and you need to bring him back. That's genuinely what it says. You can look that up. So he has a bit of a go. Well, that obviously they're not very happy about that. So they dance and they shout louder and they try and convince Baal to do something and nothing ends up happening. They get to the end of the day, nothing's gone on. So Elijah's like, okay, now it's my turn. But before I start, let's just make this a little bit more challenging. And so he says, go and get some jugs of water and pour water all over my altar. So all of the wood gets completely soaked. He says, all right, that's nice and wet. Do it again. So they do it a second time. He says, do it again. Do it a third time. And so now the water is soaked. There's water absolutely everywhere. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to pray. And so he prays what is a fairly simple prayer. God, prove to these people that you're real and that you're the one true and powerful God. And sure enough, God does. And kaboom, the whole thing gets burned up. The bull, the wood, all of the water gets completely burned up. It's awesome. It's amazing. Think about how it would be to be there and to see this happen. Surely everyone now is convinced that God is the one true God and everything's going to be great, right? The king Ahab's going to turn back to God. Everything's going to be fine as they move forward together. You would go home if you were Elijah at this point and think, awesome, that's a good day. Very, very good day. We're back on track and things are going to be really, really good. Have you ever had one of those experiences? Probably not exactly the same as that. I wouldn't have thought. If you have, come and tell me later because I would love to hear if you've had that sort of experience exactly. But you might have had a time in your life where you really sensed that God spoke to you very, very clearly or something really incredible happened in your life. You had a really, really amazing experience. Something where your prayers were really, really clearly answered in a significant and powerful way. You may have had some of those experiences over your life. What often happens following on from that in our spiritual journeys? 
not about you, but so often for me what happens after I have these amazing mountaintop experiences is that everything comes crashing down. And suddenly things aren't so great on the other side of it. And things start to fall apart. It's exactly what ends up happening for Elijah, and that's where we pick things up today. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, we read this. So when Ahab, the king, got home, he told Jezebel, his wife, everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So imagine you come home from this amazing experience, you check your phone, and then you've got this message from Jezebel saying, I'm coming for you, Elijah. I'm going to take you out. By the end of tomorrow, it's going to happen. Look out. How would you feel if you're Elijah at this point? Seriously? Are you kidding me? Well, in verse 3, we read how Elijah responded. He was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah takes off and he runs for his life out into the wilderness, away from everything and away from everyone. And he sits down under a tree and he prays that he might die. I've had enough, God. I can't do this anymore. Have you ever been in a situation like that in your life? Some of us may even be in that situation right now. Just like, God, I'm done. I can't keep pushing. I can't keep fighting. I can't keep trying to make things happen. I'm done. Could be a financial issue that you're working through in terms of just, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Could be a relational issue, some stuff that's happening in your family, your extended family, or with some friends. Could be in a work context. I just don't know that I can keep fronting up and putting up with what I have to put up with in my workplace. Could even be related to a ministry or a volunteer context. I don't know how much more I can keep pushing and keep giving into this God. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I've had enough. I'm done. When verse 5, Elijah lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Elijah lies down and has a sleep and when he wakes up, there's this angel who's standing there and some freshly baked bread and some water for him to be able to drink. He wakes up and he recognises that God is still there providing for him, even in the midst of this rock bottom that he's hit. And it's such a great reminder to us to focus on the things that God provides for us that we need. Often we get distracted because we focus on the things that we want and why God isn't providing those things. But God always provides for the things that we need, especially when we go through difficult situations. So Elijah eats and he drinks and then he lays down and he sleeps some more. In verse 7, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Now, this is pretty staggering when you stop and think about it. God provided enough food and drink to sustain Elijah for 40 days and 40 nights of journeying through the wilderness. That's pretty wild. Like, don't miss that, because we often talk about 40 days and 40 nights, because that comes up a lot in the Bible. But actually stop and think about how long that is. 40 days ago is back at the end of September. 40 days from now, we'll nearly be at Christmas. It's a month and a bit. That's a long time to keep walking. And God provided enough strength for him to be able to do that. That's really, really staggering. And he ultimately ends up at Mount Sinai. Your translation may say Horeb. It's the same place. It's just a really, really significant place in the journey of the Israelites. Mount Sinai is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments and had so many big interactions with God, this significant spiritual place for the Israelite people. And so Elijah, in this cave, hears God speak to him and say, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is one of those times when it's important for us to think about the ways in which we project things onto God. Because we can interpret that phrase in a number of different ways. What are you doing here, Elijah? You can see it as a very accusatory thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here on this mountain when I've got work for you to do? Why aren't you with the Israelite people prophesying like you're supposed to be doing? What are you doing here, Elijah? We can easily kind of imagine that might be what God's saying. Some of us, we might see it kind of more judgmental. What are you doing here, Elijah? What's your problem? What's going on for you? Why do you keep complaining about everything all the time? You want to die? Come on, like, you're tougher than that. Get back to work. What's your problem? Sometimes we can project that sort of thing on there. I think that God is genuinely curious and in a very compassionate way, genuinely wanting to know what's going on for Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? What's happening for you, Elijah? What's going on? Tell me how you're feeling. And it's such a profound question because God already knows exactly what's going on for Elijah and exactly how he's feeling. But God wants him to be able to articulate that, to be able to name what's going on. And we see Jesus doing this so often in his interactions with people as well. He doesn't come in and impose himself. He doesn't come in and make assumptions and say, well, I know what you need. He comes in and asks questions. What's going on for you? What do you need from me? What are people saying at the moment? Jesus was so great at reflecting this heart of God to be able to say, I genuinely want you to be able to express what's going on for you, not for me to push myself onto you. And so in verse 10, Elijah replies, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And so God responds and says at the start of verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain. Now, what do you think is about to happen at this point? And if you know this story well, pretend that you've never heard it before. What would your expectation be, knowing how God is generally represented in the Old Testament, and particularly knowing some of the interactions that Moses had with God on Mount Sinai, what would you expect is about to happen for Elijah at this point? God's going to do something pretty massive and dramatic and powerful to show Elijah just how strong he is. Well, in some ways that happens, but in other ways there's a huge twist. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, imagine you're Elijah standing at kind of the opening to this cave and you're seeing all this stuff play out around you. First of all, this massive windstorm, wind that is so loud and howling and it's breaking rocks loose and the rocks are cracking and falling down all around you. Imagine all the noise and everything that you're feeling in that moment. Straight after that, there's an earthquake. Everything's shaking. You're wondering whether the cave's going to fall in. You can probably hear the earth cracking a little bit around you. Again, more rocks falling down, all of this noise. And then a firestorm rips past. You can imagine the roar of the fire and the heat that just comes in the cave as he's standing there. All of these big dramatic things where you would assume that God is a part of all of that stuff. This is some big dramatic uh, expression that God's showing him of just how amazing he is. But we're told that God was not in any of those things. And again, as we talked about at the beginning, I think that's our perceptions, is that God is going to show up and speak to us in these massive, big, dramatic ways through windstorms and earthquakes and fires and stuff that's really, really profound, what ends up happening? After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Imagine how profound that would have been after all of that noise, everything that's just been going on so loud, and then you hear this gentle whisper. And that's God's voice speaking. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? So often, that's how God speaks to us as well. It's not in the big, dramatic, massive, loud things that happen, but it's in these gentle whispers in the quiet the original translation actually almost sounds like a thin silence which is a beautiful beautiful phrase and so the challenge for us is to say if we want to hear God speak we have to make time to be able to hear God's gentle whispers if we want to hear God speak we have to create space to be able to stop long enough to hear God's gentle whispers speaking to us So what does that look like specifically? Well, in my experience and in the conversations I've had with lots of people over the years, there are lots of ways that God can speak to us through gentle whispers, but there seems to be four fairly key ways that God does speak to us. And all of them require us setting time aside to be able to hear what God might be whispering. The first is through the Bible, that as we sit and read scripture, God often speaks to us. We get this sense that God's saying something to us. The words are almost jumping off the page. But it requires us setting time aside and being focused and saying, am I willing to commit to reading Scripture? God often speaks to us through our prayers. And in some ways, this is almost like our inner voice. So often it's just a thought or a prompting or a sense that we have. I think this might be what God's saying. But it requires us stopping long enough to sit with God to talk to God, more importantly, to listen to God. And whether we do that inside, whether we do that in a park, whether we do that down the beach, whether we do that when we're going for a walk, whether we do that when we're journaling, it doesn't matter. Are we creating space to hear the gentle whispers that God wants to say to us in the midst of our prayer times? 
God also speaks to us through our experiences, just through the things that happen in our lives. Sometimes because doors open, sometimes because doors close, because opportunities become available, because opportunities stop becoming available, because of circumstances that we find ourselves in. But it requires us to stop long enough to reflect, what is God doing in this particular situation? What is God wanting to whisper to me in the midst of my experiences and my circumstances? And God also speaks to us through other people. You may have had that experience where someone just says something and it's so profound, it's clearly God speaking to you. Sometimes God will speak to us through Scripture, through someone else, that as we sit and read Scripture together, someone else says something incredibly insightful or incredibly helpful to us. Like, oh, that's so clearly what God is saying to me. Sometimes someone will just come and say, I've been praying for you and I sense that God is saying this to you. Is that something that's helpful for you? But again, it requires us to set time aside to say, are we hearing God speak to us through other people? Now, the challenge is that any one of those things can be a little dangerous if we say, this is definitely God speaking to me. But a helpful analogy that I've heard is to talk about the idea of legs on a chair with this. That if we just use one of these things, just the Bible, just prayer, just our circumstances or just other people, it's a bit like sitting on a one-legged chair. It's kind of okay, but it's a little bit wobbly and a bit rocky. If we have two of those things, it starts to feel a bit more stable, but it's still a little bit rocky. Once you get three or four of these, there's some real stability that kicks in place. And so when we can sense that God might be whispering something to us through what we're reading in Scripture and through our prayer times and through the circumstances that we're in and through what other people might be saying, and particularly if we invite other people to pray with us as we go through different circumstances, we can have a huge sense of confidence that God is saying something clear to us. But again, with all of it, it requires us setting time aside to say, am I willing to hear God speak in his gentle whispers to me? So that's the challenge that I want to put before you as we head out into this week. What does that look like for you to be able to prioritise some time to hear God speak? Before our reflection time now... I want to just create some space for us to listen to God's gentle whispers and to use the same question that God poses to Elijah. What are you doing here? To reflect on that question. What am I doing here? What's going on for me right now in this moment? As I hear God whispering those words to me, how do I respond? You might want to jot something down on your piece of paper. You might want to take some time to just pray something to God or to spend some time reflecting. But as you respond, I want to encourage you to be listening as well. What are the gentle whispers that God might be speaking to you right now, in this moment, that help to set you up for whatever's coming up this week? So take some time to be able to reflect. What am I doing here? And what's God whispering to you? And we'll come back and pray. We'll transition across to communion.
Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you speak to us, that you're not a God that is distant and far off, that isn't involved in our lives. We thank you that you're here with us right now, that you've been with us throughout this past week and that you will be with us as we head into this week. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we have full and complete access to your Holy Spirit that journeys with us, that knows the deepest desires and groanings of our hearts and that communicates with us and helps us to be able to communicate with you. We're grateful that we don't have to go to a specific place at a specific time to be able to hear you speak, but that you're with us, whispering to us constantly every moment of every day. We're sorry that so often we miss those gentle whispers because we live in a culture that is so noisy, where there's so much that gets our attention, there's so much that we pay attention to, there's so much that comes across us through the screens that we look at, the things that we listen to, the advertising that we see all of the time. There's so many distractions that stop us from being able to hear what you've got to say to us as you whisper gently to us. And so I pray that as we head into this week, you would challenge us about what it looks like to set time aside, to be able to hear you speak, to recognise that you're there and you desperately want to be able to engage with us, that you don't impose yourself on us, you don't make assumptions about what that looks like. You simply want to sit with us and say, what's going on for you? What's happening for you? And then to gently walk with us as we move forward into the opportunities that you give us to participate in the work that you're doing in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. So as we head into this week, help us to hear your gentle whispers. In Jesus' name, amen.